So it's recording now, and the first question is from Sadvi. Dandavas Guru Maharaj. Yes, my question was about once you said some time ago that uh, uh, in the beginning one cannot really understand the scriptures properly on one on his own. So Guru needs to give the understanding and explain the meaning. But with the time, with advancement on the path, uh, one can actually understand the scriptures. So I was wondering, is it that uh, we study deeply the scriptures and this is how with the time and listening from the guru, we start understanding them? Or is it that uh, it's out of, uh, because of our advancement and sadhana and uh, sadhu sangha, we can actually start understanding uh, the scriptures by that. How is the process? In which direction? I was wondering. No, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, um, and there's different levels of understanding. So I think it may be difficult in the beginning to even understand theoretically. Hmm? And theoretical understanding can be um, acquired by practice, study, um, employing various uh, tools for study that, uh, for example, someone would do in academics. Mm-hmm. Just uh, not that you have to become an academic, but there are things that we can, we could, tools, as I say, that we could employ and um, study habits and, you know, ways of um, approaching the texts and so forth and so on, which might include, for example, learning some of the language, learning some Bengali, Sanskrit, um, and so on and so forth. Um, and, 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 and that is um, more of an, of an exercise that amounts to kind of spiritualizing um, one's intellect, at least uh, for the sadhaka now. Uh, it's not going to necessarily spiritualize the intellect of an academic who takes Indology as his or her subject and decides to study Gaudiya Vaishnavism and uh, ends up uh, knowing the, the theory better than many devotees, but um, it's not a devotee oneself. Um, so... Um, but But nonetheless... Um, their academic approach to the matter is more of a from from down, you know, to up, using the, the tools and that are at our disposal and, and our our intellect unto itself. So uh, we we can do that as devotees, um, and that will bring us to one level of understanding the scripture. Now, the other level of understanding the scripture is um, is requires the opposite, or the, the, the second thing that you ask. So both things are required. That, that means realization, feeling for the texts, and so forth. Um, that 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 it, it starts to speak to you, and in corresponding with your purified heart, your feelings for the subject, and so on and so forth, that um, enables you to uh, bring out insights that, uh, that, have, have, that have not been brought out before. Hmm? You can study other tikas and so forth and repeat them and so on, but, um, and that's useful. But, um, and, and the latter, of course, is, is um, our um, objective. And um, so it's a mix of, of both. Study of the scripture um, is recommended by Krishna in the Gita. One who studies this sacred conversation between myself and, and Arjun is dear to me and so forth. Um, and uh, commentators there tend to refer to such study as, as Gyan Yogya, so the sacrifice knowledge. Um, here the knowledge is Sambandagyan, it means knowledge it's different than just the oneness between Atma and Brahman, the extent to which the Atma is one with Brahman. It's not um, 
necessarily part of uh, Sambandagam. Sambandagam nature knowledge of Krishna, what he's like, the, the, the difference between Krishna and um, and Mahavishnu and so on and so forth. Um, and, and, and knowledge of the path of bhakti and so on. So, um, although it's referred to as Gyanyagya, the Gyan there um, or the devotees studying the Gita is uh, Sambandha Gyan. So, in that way we include it as part of uh, bhakti, but you know, it's 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 a it's a, it's, a um, it's something that some devotees are going to be more inclined naturally uh, to study the scripture, and those are the ones you have to watch out for because <laughs> uh, it can go to their head. They can think they've gone somewhere just by by acquiring some theoretical knowledge and being able to regurgitate it and Everybody thinks, oh, she's so advanced. She knows so many things and so on and so forth. Um, Shidamarsh used to emphasize this point, emphasize it to me. Um, not because I'm that type. I guess I am that type to some extent, but, but, uh, he emphasized to me to emphasize to others of that, that type. I guess he was talking to me too. Uh, now that I think about it more, but, um, uh, he said, you have to hammer on them, Gyan Shunya Bhakti, Gyan Shunya Bhakti, Gyan Shunya Bhakti. Um, bhakti unencumbered by, by, by knowledge is our, our goal. So we have to get, that's why I say we acquire knowledge, scriptural knowledge with our head in order to, for, it's not a, it's not a goal unto itself. It's for the purpose of softening the heart. So you have to use the head to soften the heart. And our investment, our, our, our advancement would be measured more by our taste for Harinam. Hmm? Um, yeah. So does that help? Yes, thank you very much. So the, the term is used by Rupa Goswami regarding someone who is, is, is superlative with regard to sharing the path, the Uttam Adhikari says, Shastra Nipun, Shastra Yukti. Shastra Yukti means he or she has the capacity to reason about the argument of the scripture, land land on her feet, um, and uh, uh, draw out the implications and so forth. And Shastra, Shastra Nipun, Shastra Nipun means Nipun means genius, scriptural genius. So who can? Um, um, uh, I, I want to differentiate that from just somebody who's memorized, you know, the whole, the whole Bhagavad Gita, for example, or the whole Bhagavatam. There are people like that, where you know, m- many verses. And so it's not, a, it's not a question of quantity of, of of memorization, but the ability to give those kind of um, novel answers, um, like. Is there any real sex life in the spiritual world? Hmm. And you say, no, there's no real sex life in the material world. That's not a verse, but that's a, a kind of an answer. Even Prabhupada would say, why don't you go there and find out? That's that, like that, call that kind of, that's scriptural genius. See what that's like. Sajjan Marsh sent me a quote of my own self some time back. I forget what that was, but it was it was in regard to this. It was a nice quote. I have to look it up because I've got all my emails from him. Um, wish I had it at, at, on, the, on the tip of my tongue, but um, but that can all go away too uh, with uh, with time. You know, your memory is going to fail and, and, and so on, and for good reasons too. Because uh, um, Marsh once said in, in the last days really of his uh, manifest presence that he had a dream and in his dream all his scriptural knowledge was taken away. Mm-hmm. And he had left, was left only with his faith mm-hmm. as, as the vehicle you know, to, to go the distance. Very inspiring to hear him say that. So he had, and he had a fair amount. He, he was, he was called Shastra Nipun, uh, once, uh, by, uh, scriptural genius and he was uh, 
scholar, Sanskrit scholar, had many of his own uh, original Sanskrit compositions, some of which were very much appreciated by Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasati Thakur and by all of his, his peers, also praises of Bhakti Vinod and of Bhaktisiddhanta in uh, Astakams and, 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 and so forth. So imagine that all that was taken away from him, he said. He had only his face left. All right, so, Sajin, you had a question? You can't remember that quote. You should look it up. Oh, I sent you that quote? Yeah, you you, 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 you sent it in the context of something in in, in an email to me sometime back. Hmm. I I, I quoted one thing nice to you, and you said, that's very nice, and you said this too, and you liked it very much. I'd have to look it up. It's very nice. Okay, yeah, I'll I'll take a look and see if I can find that uh, in our our past correspondence like that, Jay Maharaj. So, and, uh, um, speaking of Srila Sridhar Maharaj, um, I was reflecting quite, um, deeply on his, the principle he gave about thesis and antithesis and synthesis, which he might have gotten that initially from Hegel along with a couple of other things like that. But I was kind of, it came to me. I did not Read and I, what I'm about to mention. I did not read anywhere or hear from anyone else, but I thought it was worth running by you to see what you thought of it. Um, this principle of thesis, antithesis, antithesis, and synthesis. It seems to have had some very profound applications in our in the um, the development of our own Gaudi Vaishnava Sampradaya, such as, for example. Um, Nityananda Prabhu, it is said, in, in all of the authorized biographies, it is said that he preceded Mahaprabhu coming to the world. And Srila Vrindavan Das Thakur specifically refers to him on a number of occasions as uh, Akrodananda, uh, Akrodananda Parmananda, you know, like that. One who is uh, unconditionally blissful all the time and never becomes angry. Like just in that one little uh, phrase right there. Whereas by so that there's our thesis, and then by contrast, it could be said that Mahaprabhu was. I mean, it's in in all of his authorized biographies, he displayed as part of his divine lila uh, anger, um, perhaps a bit of violence on a number of occasions, and um, not only that, but. He did not display, again, as part of his Nitya Lila, he did not um, display the characteristic of being unconditionally blissful at all times. For example, in that story about um, Srivas Thakur's mother-in-law being in the basket uh, in the Kirtan Hall, Mahaprabhu said, oh, I, I can't feel any happiness. There, there's, there's someone present who should not be. Just that's one example. There are others also, of course, but that's a, that's the one that kind of stands out for me in the moment. So he, it could be said again, this is just an impression that he was like something like, uh, an antithesis of Nityananda Prabhu, which then yielded by that synthesis, um, such wonderful devotees who came after, such as the Goswamis and uh, Narottam Das Thakur, Srinivasacharya, Vishwanath Chakravati Thakur, etc., like that. And then um, the second kind of, again, impression that came to me was the same happened again in the case of Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur, who, as you yourself mentioned, he was very, very uh, liberal-minded, and he appreciated Thoreau and Emerson and and so many uh, different types of um, spiritual and religious and philosophical expressions, um, Jesus as well, perhaps. Whereas, by contrast, again, uh, apparently, it would seem as if Srila Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur was something like an antithesis of Srila Bhaktivinoda in that he was quoted as saying, oh, I came all the way to Vrindavan and I could not find a single Vaishnava, even among the Vaishnavas of Vrindavan, we could say. So 
But yet, from that thesis and antithesis yielded the beautiful, most beautiful synthesis of Srila Prabhupada and Srila Sridhar Maharaj and, and uh, yourself and so many other wonderful devotees who came after them like that. Anyway, I just wanted to kind of run those that, those impressions, just, you know, impressions that came from within, you know, f- uh, by you to, to get your your impression on that. Much a quick reminder if you could uh, slow down, thank you. Right, 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 right. Well, um, I don't, uh, I don't know if the synthesis, uh, antithesis, uh, thesis applies so much to what you're talking about, um, you know, maybe in a broad way, uh, but. But nonetheless, what you're talking about is the fact that, um, that there are, um, there's a fair amount of diversity, um, in terms of the way in which Bhagwan, in the case of, for example, Nityananda Prabhu, you cited, and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, uh, conducted themselves in relation to the public, in relation to other devotees, and, um, also amongst devotees, um, who all have the same objective, they may conduct themselves and express themselves quite, uh, quite differently. Um, and, and, um, and some of that I think is, is, is relative to what they're, uh, called upon as far as the devotees called upon in terms of time and circumstance. Um, and some of it is also just relative to their own disposition. Hmm? I think on a lower level, they may have a certain disposition. On a higher level, they may be used for a certain purpose um, and speak in a certain way, um, be used by, by Bhagawan, you know, in, in those circumstances. Um, uh, Prabhupada tended, to, I'll give you an example of that. Prabhupada tended to be very, uh, very literal in 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 a, in a sense um you know he was when he was asked questions like what are the five horses of uh, you know on, on the chariot of arjun mean he said it means it takes about five horses to draw the chariot you know he used <laughs> like metaphorical answers and so forth because he didn't want the chariot to disappear and, and, and you know in in the leela to disappear into being just a metaphor that speaks about something other than the fact that there's an ontological reality that we call Leela. Mm-hmm. He wanted to ground devotees in that. And, um, you know, at a, at a time, circumstances where other persons representing Hinduism, yoga and whatnot, were, um, tend to speak more metaphorically with, um, Nibrisesh Brahman ultimately being the, mm-hmm. the, the goal where Anything that happens is, is, is thought to be, or any dispensation is thought to be a teaching that, you know, ends up, um, in undifferentiated Brahman. So he, he, he very much wanted to avoid that. Um, so that's an example of how he spoke literally. But, in, you know, in, in many ways he did, we, we found it very useful because, um, when I was young and I wanted to meditate, I used to ask people how to meditate. People just said, well, you know, you just meditate. And now there's just like 10,000 books out there, how to meditate and probably about 9,999 9, of them are, you know, or don't understand what meditation is. Or what, so it's very confusing, problematic. Um, but uh, Prabhupada really gave like handles, you know, hold on, you do it like this, not like that and, uh, and so forth. And it was very useful because if you grabbed onto those handles and did it like that and didn't do it the other way and, and so forth. It very lent, much lent itself um, the practice as he was outlining it to experience, having experience. And of course, when you have the experience, the, the deeper the experience is, then the more you see the handles and the rules and the way to do it more um, as a technique, if you will, mm-hmm. rather as a detail, I should say, rather than principle and so forth so um although he was like that and he spoke like that um 
if you look closely, more closely at Prabhupada, if you knew him, you, you, you find that he had this whole other side, if you will, which was, wasn't, wasn't like that at all. It was very liberal, open-minded, gray, um, and so on and so forth. But he seemed to be used by Krishna in a particular way and, and during his time to speak about it in such a way that you could, that he could be and has been in nowadays looked at by, by some persons as, as kind of very conservative, you know, very, very, mm-hmm. very, um, um, uh, not as like more, more black and white, let's say. Mm-hmm. Sure. But I, but I think this is an instance of, of, of Bhagavan Chaitanya Mahaprabhu taking over his Antakaram, Nityananda Prabhu, and using him in a particular way. That, um, that was, as I said, it was very, very useful. It, it gave the devotees experience um, in comparison to many others who were uh, flirting with meditation and so forth, and um, and so on. It gave them conviction and, and experience, and a very extraordinary thing happened. Um, obviously, for Chaitanya Vaishnavism, for for Hinduism, and so on. So, um, as I say. Um, the way in which devotees act differently in relation to the, the public and other devotees may depend on their different personal uh, dispositions as Vaishnavas and also by the way in which Bhagwan decides to use them regardless of their their dispositions and, and personalities and so forth. You, you, you mentioned Bhakti Siddhanta and Bhakti Vinod. Yeah, they're kind of like they, they appear to be diametrically opposed at times. But, but no one would know. No one in the world outside of Bengal would know Bhakti Vinod Thakur, but weren't for Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur. So he put him, you know, brought him, introduced him to the whole world. Um, but Bhakti Vinod Thakur was dealing with circumstances. Um, in, in Gaudi Vaishnavism that called for some reform, but um, he did it in 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 a um, kind of in like a needle and Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasitakur out like a plow. <laughs> some of the followers of Bhakti Vinodakur thought that Bhakti Siddhanta was not representative of Bhakti Vinod, was deviant from him and so forth, but actually, as I say, um, no one could have given more uh, uh, um, recognition to Bhakti Vinod and uh, put him on the world world stage, introduced him, published his books, um, and so on and so forth. This was this was all, all really the work of Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, and um, and uh, he saw the need to conduct himself in a different way. And you know, he was a, he was. A, Someone of obviously had his own unique personality as well. So again, both things are applicable. Yes, Nityananda Prabhu, some thoughts about that. Um, never gets angry, but he kicked Shivananda Sane in the chest. So I remember that. Yeah, I do remember. That's an exception. <laughs> Shivananda Sane really appreciated it quite a bit. So yes. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, I think uh was reflecting on it. The, the contrasting ways in which Nityananda Prabhu and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu reacted to Jagai and Madai. Mm-hmm. Mm. Sure. Nityananda Chaitanya Mahaprabhu became angry because of the way they dealt, dealt with Nitai and Nityananda Prabhu stopped him you know, and uh, pleaded the case of, of, of mercy over justice. Right. So that's probably the, you know, it's such a big event there. Uh, such a significant leave of the, of the time that he was probably reflecting on that. He himself, on the other hand, um, Vrindavan Das Thakur, mm-hmm. approaches the matter quite differently from uh, Krishna Das Kabiraj. Even though the latter refers to Bhakti Siddha, uh, to, to Vrindavan Das Thakur, defers to him and his work and, and so on. There's a reason for, for that. Um, First of all, he was he was the uh, um, he preceded, so he was a senior um, uh, in that sense to Krishna Kaviraj. He was direct disciple of Nityananda Prabhu, um, 
And, um, and of course, he couldn't have been that word. Uh, emphasized and brought out in much greater detail the Nabadweep Leelas of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, which um, enter into which is the goal. Whereas Chaitanya Charitamrita Krishna Das Kambiraj emphasized the Madhi Leela of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, his sannyas. Hmm? That's mm-hmm. the central focus of his book, which is the way. Hmm? So, in a sense, Vrindavan does focused on the goal, but bringing out in more detail the Nabhadvipalila, where we want to enter. Vrindavan does the way by emphasizing the teachings and the Tudrup and Sanatan, the Sankirtan, the preaching of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, how he conducted himself as a public figure uh, rather than as a home, as a hometown boy. Hmm? <laughs> of course, each of them covers all three of the Leelas, Adi Leela, Madi Leela, and Anti Leela, but in greater detail. I think that's one of the reasons that uh, that uh, Krishnas Kaviraj defers to Vrindavan Das, but they're very different relative to your um, comments in that. Uh, Krishna's Kabirash Goswami is um, uh, very much um, known, if you will, in his book from his statement that uh, um, anyone who, uh, what does he say, anyone who hears my name loses their loses their piety, something like that, yeah. And anyone who chants my name commits sinful acts. Uh, <laughs> yes. And I'm nothing but a worm in the, in a stool, something like that. So very, very intense, uh, uh, humility. Of course, we agree with them philosophically. That's another thing. What we say is, yes, anyone who hears his name, uh, will lose their good karma. Mm-hmm. And in a chance, his name will be freed from their bad karma. Krishna's Kabiraj Goswami Mahashaya Kijai. But he's in his humility is very much underscored there. And he, I mean, he is a little bit, uh, he has a little bit of aggression. I mean, he's, he's establishing sectarian boundaries of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, distinguishing it from Madhva Sampradaya from Shankar and so forth. So there's a little bit of that there. But overall, he's quite um, humble. And uh, and uh, now you take Vrindavan Das Thakur. He is known um, for his famous statement that... Uh, yeah. If, and, and having said this, if someone does not... Uh, what does he take shelter of Nityananda Prabhu, then I... A kick, kick on his head with, with shoes, something like that. Hmm? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm still recovering from having studied the Chaitanya Bhagavat and, and reading those statements. I'm still, I'm just recovering from all that now. It's traumatizing. <laughs> quite, quite, quite opposite in that regard. Bhakti Siddhanta said, well, he says that because, um, you know, it, of course, if you get hit on the head with the shoes of Krishna Skabiras, that would be good for you, but. Um, he could not right. tell <laughs> that people would be not take advantage of this uh, dispensation of Gordon. Then. But anyway, they, they seem to have different uh, different dispositions. Um, of course, they have different sentiments too. One is a kind of a feisty uh, from, in the, from, the, from the internal perspective, mm-hmm. cowherds, and those cowherds are very uh, inclined towards vira rasa, vira rasa, mm-hmm. yuda vira means the, the heroism, the heroism of fighting, which they sure. do amongst themselves and challenge the demons and, and so on. And so mm-hmm. Prabhupada once said that, um, yes, and we will, we will take over the world and we will have the bomb or something like that. And if someone doesn't, don't agree to chant, we'll, we'll drop the bomb or something. 
<laughs> something like that. He could make statements yeah. like that. Yeah. <laughs> One of my godbrothers, uh, Giri Rajmarsh, asked me, how would you deal with that, you know, in preaching? I said, oh, that is Yudavira, in the context of his Sakya, Sakya Rasa. And he's coming, he liked that answer very, very much. <laughs> so you have to take it, wow, you know, sometimes it's based on the Bob they're speaking and has to be looked at in that in that light. I mean, yeah. would never drop a bomb on anybody or shoot anybody or anything of the sort. Um, but, you know, Prabhupada would make bombastic uh, statements like that, if you, if you, if you will. Um, I'll give a slight contrast that comes to mind of Pujapad Sridhar Marsh. They were God Brothers, of course, and they were very, they had very different dispositions. One of my our, our God Brothers, um, Bhakti Kanangiri Maharaj, used disciple of Prabhupada Sanyas from um, Pujapad Sridhar Marsh. Well, he was um, preaching in, in North America and um, I think he was, he was a book distributor. I, I had trained him as a book distributor many years earlier. He was distributing books maybe in the Dallas airport mm-hmm. in Texas. And mm-hmm. then the devotees came and threatened him from the Iskon Temple and um, you know, with very sectarian perspective and, and, and threatened him and so forth. They threatened him and they, 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 they like scoped out his house and he knew they were there. So he got a little worried. So he, he bought a gun hmm, to protect himself. And then, um, he didn't have to use it, but uh, when he came, uh, shortly thereafter a visit with Pujapachita Marsh, Burmash would ask us, you know, what's the news? And there was always some ISKCON is doing this and because we were a small group and, um, and, uh, it becomes a little more antagonistic and uh, at the time, uh, we were a little more feisty as well, I suppose, um, as to our choices and for why. Anyway, the, the story was told and, um, he said, Oh, Kanangiri, Kanangiri. Mm-hmm. We call it Kanangiri. Oh, Kanangiri. <laughs> So now you are a cannon, Gary. You have a cannon. He said, you should take that gun. And I think it was Tamal Krishnamarsh, who was the, was the guru in the GBC or something there. Bring it to him and give it to him. And say, here, here, let me, let me, uh, I'll give you assistance. If you want to get rid of me, here's the gun. Something like that. That was his disposition. Wow. Yeah. That's how he instructed. So. He wasn't, uh, he wasn't ever a fighter, uh, Pujapachita March was, was not, was not, I mean, he would, he would argue for the cause and so forth, but he was, he was almost too, uh, too liberal. Uh, it makes it hard to debate because you can say, well, you got a point over there on that side, you know, it's a way of thinking about it, you know, so, <laughs> but, uh, so they were very different. Yeah. So, you know, different devotees have different dispositions and, um, and uh, just like the market, there are many, there are many, many cars, different kinds to buy, different people, different, all different products, any, many number of any good product, make another one. And somebody else will buy that one instead of the first one. So the different, many minds in the market as well, right? So yes, market, market of the holy name, then devotees ah. will be, will be moved in different ways by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu to uh, make his dispensation available and uh, we were moved by one and respect all maybe moved by more than one but primarily one and respect everyone something like that so some thoughts what else thank you thank you Maharaj. thank you so much the next question is from krishna kanai is it wait we have a follow-up question here from oh okay krishna so please hold on the ability to see Can I speak up? The ability to see the Sarup Shakti manifesting in a variety of ways. Is that a discernment that comes with in time advancement? You know, that's tells this way. Sure is asking, is the ability to see the Sarup Shakti manifesting different ways something that will come with one's advancement? Yeah, I mean uh, uh, Krishna Shakti Bhine Nagi Na Tarpa Bhartan. So 
One cannot successfully, this is a statement from Chaitanya Charitamrita, spread the Sankirtan of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu without Krishna Shakti. So, um, you know, you look at what Prabhupada did, um, for example, spreading Sankirtan all over the world, you have to conclude that he had Krishna Shakti if you had a little philosophical, you know, understanding of how these things work, you could have put that, you know, together. Um, and the very idea that um, that um, that great devotees move in the world under the influence of the Shruk Shakti, that's, that's a verse from Bhagavad Gita, Mahatmanastumam Partha Daivim Prakriti Mashrita. So, uh, you know, I, I think that uh, with a little bit of knowledge in this regard to how the Srup Shakti makes ingress into the devotee's life and, and, um, and in, in, from the very beginning, but at a certain point it becomes prominent and particular. And, um, as a, as a result, uh, it, as the ingress intensifies to bring out one's destiny and, uh, and to cause one to function in the world, um, under that influence, and you're asking about, I assume, how to detect, you know, that someone's movements, devotees' movements, are being driven by the Sarup Shakti. Well, they're either, either driven by the Sarup Shakti or they're driven by the Maya Shakti. So, um, Sadakadeya up until um, Bhava is a work in progress. So, I would say, at least below Nishta, most of the devotees have both influences. And, um, and there, there's a, there's a struggle, uh, there. It's like climbing a mountain. So going up to one side is hard. Once you get to the top, going down the other side into the valley, that, that, that's, uh, that's easy in comparison. Go to the top, you have the theory that there's not, there's a valley on the other side. Uh, so you got to go up and you got to have ropes attached to you so that you can fall but you can't go down the bottom you can't you can't you, you, so you never lose your standing in bhakti you may slip down but the rope is there holding it so so the struggle up you can see the bodhis are, um, are being driven sometimes by to some extent by maya shakti sometimes by srup shakti when they become nishta then the influence of, of Maya Shakti is there in the form of seeds of desire, but they're not, as that initiative really progresses, they're not being given a chance to, to fructify. It's like if you take water and, and flood a seed, it's, it's just, it's going to get flooded. It's, it's not going to, it's not going to sprout. Hmm? Um, so the flood of continuous bhakti, which is the idea of uh, Nishta, won't allow them to fructify and instead then the, the seeds, if you will, of, of, of bhakti will flower into, into ruchi and, uh, and an asakti. So in the devotees in these stages are going to be, um, moved by the sarup shakti, what to speak of bhava, which is that stage in which the sadhaka day has been, um, uh, spiritualized. Um, now you will see, of course, great devotees have preferences, right? They, one likes this subji, one likes another one, and so on and so forth. So how will we look at that? Well, we'll think that Krishna likes to taste that subji through this, uh, this, this, this devotee and another through that, um, another to another, um, in, in time, I mean, I want to also, uh, um, one can, one can see that the nature of the devotee, um, beyond his sadhaka day coming, coming out being a factor. Hmm? Um, but then this is the basic idea that takes a little more uh, spirituality to. Understand, this is a newcomer. This person was in a previous life. This is a situation that I can see this coming. He should be guided in this way and so forth and so on. 
But uh, in general, that is your criteria. There's the two energies. So you may move into one or the other. And it depends to what extent one is more absorbed. And there are the stages to help us appreciate that. Um, yeah. Okay. Krishna, Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna, um, so I have a brief, brief question before maybe Shraddha can ask hers. Um, I have a question if you know anything about the um, origins of Ayurveda. Um, so I scanned the Veda base and actually there's not so much mention of it except for Srimad Bhagavatam. It says that, uh, you know, it mentions Danvantadi, who was the inaugurator of the medical science and an incarnation of Lord Vasudev. And, um, and then I was scanning just like generic uh, websites and they were all kind of say, citing the same uh, story. I think they were just always <laughs> taking the same source. Um, and it says that Ayurveda is a science that originated from Lord Brahma, uh, the creator of the universe, and that Ayurveda is attributed to Danvantari, who is the physician of the Devatas, and he received it from Brahma. So my question is just generally, how can I put this in my head together? <laughs> Maybe it's a very stupid question. Um, I was wondering if like Shriya Prabhupada mentioned something about this, and if um, if it's actually possible that an incarnation of Vishnu is kind of like below Brahma, like he is receiving the wisdom from Brahma, but I'm thinking, well, actually, like a Vishnu avatar is like much higher than Brahma. And yeah, who, like, what is the origin of Ayurveda in the end? That's just what I'm wondering if you maybe know a little bit. Oh, I think that, uh, first of all, Ayurveda is a medical science. And there are many sciences, like there's the Dhanurveda, for example, to learn about military arts. There's the Ayurveda. Ayur means life, so it's a life science. It's medical science. So the Vedas are Nigamakalpatara or Galitam. There are three, like analogies given, the metaphors given, many branches of knowledge. And so there is, uh, there, are, there are different arts and sciences and so forth. Uh, and sections of the Veda that deal with them. So with regard to life science or medical, that's called Ayurveda. So the origin is the Veda. Now, uh, the Veda has no origin. So um, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's thought to be uh, coexisting with, 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 with Bhagwan, right? His, his breath, something like that. Um, and so, uh, the fact that there is a form of Bhagwan as Danvantari that uh, personifies the Ayurveda, uh, say presides over that. In the Bhagavatam and other texts, uh, creation stories, you find the, the churning of the ocean of milk and Danvantari came out of that, among other, among other things that came out. So Brahma's work is also the work of creation. Now Brahma's work of creation is not his work alone. Therefore, we find it in the Brahma Samhita praying to Krishna for the power to do the work of creation and to do it in such a way that he'll not be distracted by that work from the more important goal of attaining love for Krishna. Hmm? This is how he prays. So uh, anyway, that, he, he's taught how to do that. Um, so Brahma, Brahma's work of creation is also taught there that that is an empowered work. So he is the, he and he, his creation is a secondary creation. Hmm? So there's sarga and visarga, right? So there's the initial manifestation of the world on the part of Mahavishnu, and then there's an organizing of it through sound, hmm? just like. We organize things through sound. We call that this a glass, this a table. We give names to it and things are organized. So, so through sound, if you will, he manifested the Vedas. He's not the source of the Vedas, but they were manifest through him. Hmm? Empowered to do so, uh, he was by Bhagwan. That was his task. Now, sometimes also um, the, 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 the seat or the, uh, what you call it, the, uh, the position post of Brahma, uh, different types of uh, disciplines can afford one uh, the opportunity to attain the post of Brahma. Typically, it's thought through karma, marg, 
And the observance, for example, of Varnashram perfectly, excuse me, just my leg. They're not too too ferocious. Um, the uh, he made them too. So, uh, so Brahma. Uh, so uh, uh, anyway, uh, through sound he manifests the Vedas. Now, oh, I say so. A different person may attain post of Brahma. So a hundred lifetimes of perfectly executing Varnashram, one can become a Brahma. Now, one can also through Gyan can become a Brahma, and also. Uh, sometimes there we have to transfer this uh, scorpion. <laughs> there, a moment. Um, uh, we see, uh, for example, in Great Bhagavatam, to Gopu Kumar, who's a devotee, became a Brahma for a while. So uh, it's a position, and Brahma manifests. Sometimes Bhagwan himself takes the post of Brahma. That's also a possibility. But anyway, Brahma manifests the Vedas, but, but that he doesn't, he didn't write them there. He's at the origin of them and so on and so forth. So Brahma manifests the Veda and within the Veda, the Ayurveda is there as one of the sciences. In that sense, it comes through Brahma, but it, but it has its origins, uh, that, uh, that precede their manifest, its manifestation in the world. Mm-hmm. But, in, but in general, I mean, for a general audience, this is a science from the Vedas. Mm-hmm. Vedas are eternal, so this is this is its uh, its, its its medical science. I mm-hmm. yes. And and so Danvantadi is more like a patron saint. He's taking care of this something like this. Well, he's the you know what was called the presiding deity of the Ayur, Ayurveda. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. He's Vishnu. He's Vishnu. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, and thank you, um, devotees, for taking the scorpion away. <laughs> Awesome. Okay, so yeah, that really helped me. So Brahma is actually not the creator, but he's the manifester. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you. Hare Krishna. What else? So there are two people. Oh, is there a question there? I think uh, I would say Shraddha Devi, she has a question. Or follow up. Okay, I'll go ahead. Can you hear me? Yeah. I'm just reading the Krishna book. Um, so it's uh, a chapter in that, and the next chapter where um, Krishna meets his friend. I'm not sure you're connection. Your connection is that good. And I can't, you're breaking up very, very badly. Maybe you want to write, write the question? Yeah, I will. I will have the other question first. Then we'll take it from the chat, okay? If you want to write it down. So. Should we take another question in the meantime? Moderator, help. Oshradha, can you uh Can you say that again? <laughs> I can chat I can put oh, it right. I can type it in the Okay, I'll mute her. There you go. Okay, sorry about that. So Kanuram has a question as well. Okay. Good morning, Guru Maharaj. Good morning. I have a, my question is, is, um, is from Chaitanya Bhagavat. Um, this is after the, after the dream of Lord Chaitanya, uh, dreaming that Lord Nityananda will appear in Navadweep. And then when Nityananda arrives and stays at the home of Nanda Nacharya, then he, um, Lord Chaitanya sends devotees like Srivas and um, Haridas to find him. So I'll, I'll read you this verse because it, it, the, the verse seems a little 
a little cryptic. And then Bhakti Siddhanta gives a purport that's a little cryptic. And I was wondering if you have some insight. Um, it says, devotees like Srivast certainly know the truth regarding Nityananda, but for some curious reason, they could not find him. And then Bhakti Siddhanta writes, there are many mysteries in the pastime of unsuccessfully searching for Sri Nityananda Prabhu, exhibited by the eternally uh, perfect associates like uh, associates of the Lord, like Srivast Pandit. Baladev Prabhu hid himself and did not show his form to Haridas and Srivast Pandit. He has thereby shown that the eternal absolute truth cannot be seen through external practice or designation. So I'm not sure like what he's hinting at external practice or designation and, or how those might be tied to Srivas and Haridas. Right. Well, I think they're only tied to Srivas and Haridas in the sense that, that, that an example is being shown to others who, um, um, who that um, would pertain to. So sometimes the devotees of the Lord are used to um, act in such ways as to teach us. Um, so it's not the statement there at Bhakti Siddhanta where it's not that Srivas or Haridas only have external vision and therefore they couldn't see. Mm-hmm. Um, but that they're being used to teach that. And, um, and you know, in general, the idea that... Um, with material senses, one cannot see uh, see the Lord. When the Lord wants you to see Him, then you can see Him. So, and, it, and that would be that would be true for anybody, for any even an advanced devotee. So, Balaram Nityananda Ram came and didn't want to be seen, and and then when he wanted to be seen, with the approach of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu to Nandanacharya's house. Then he showed himself, right? Mm-hmm. Otherwise, otherwise, it's also a fact that in the that in the in the manifest presence of Nityananda Prabhu, um, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu made a great effort to make sure that he was not misunderstood, because here he is, he's Bhagwan, he's Balaram, but he acted in ways that were um, were sometimes controversial, um, and um, and so Mahaprabhu was always quick to correct the devotees or to point out the divinity of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, excuse me, the, the divinity of Nityananda Prabhu himself. So lesson is that to understand Bhagavan requires association and uh, purified senses and, and so on and so forth. One would think the deity is the stone unless they've heard from a Vaishnava and have faith and uh, applied themselves in terms of how to approach the deity um, and had experience ultimately um, to, to one extent or another they'll they'll, they'll, they'll think it's a stone a statue so well, that's the basic uh, principle hmm? kind of a simpler uh, point I think Bhakti is just you know, taking the opportunity to make that point hmm? um, and uh, meanwhile you know, Nityananda Prabhu showed himself when he wanted to show himself. And when did he want to show himself? He wanted Chaitanya Mahaprabhu himself to come and, and, and find him out and point him out hmm, to everyone. Hmm. All right? Yes, thank you, Guru Maharaj. Okay. What else? So yeah. I'm not seeing... Oh, somebody there? Question? Unless uh, Shadi Devi's written hers out, do you want to read it in the chat? Um, I'm not saying it here, but she might have sent... Oh, here it is. In the Krishna book, Srila Prabhupada's summary study of the 10th canto of the Bhagavatam, it says that a man in perfect knowledge knows that every man has a preordained amount of happiness and distress in this, in distress in this world. He should not seek any more than is given to him. Is this material happiness slash distress? Yes, he's say, saying that we are a lot of, we have our karma. So we are a, a lot of a certain amount of happiness, certain amount of distress. And the teaching is rather than to pursue one, avoid the other, um, and be riding on this uh, roller coaster hmm, of pursuing happiness and avoiding distress, we should focus on service to Bhagavan and keep an even keel in either case. 
whether the result is material happiness or material distress, we're transcending it. Hmm? Uh, so um, it refers to karma, yes. Um, that said, and that it's a true statement, and there are t- scriptural texts to that effect. Uh, so anyway, Bhagavatam, uh, but that's basically the teaching that, that we shouldn't be moved by the pursuit of happiness and the avoidance of distress, but by something, but something that transcends both of them, which of course is service to Bhagavan. But um, that said, um, I guess there's an appearance of being able to increase one's happiness and avoid one's distress by the efforts that one makes um, and so on and so forth. But aside again from from uh, devotional service, it's all in the realm of, of karma. So you're all, you've got this momentum that you're following and and uh, and so on. So it's it's statements like that are meant to help us unplug. Hmm? from the pursuit by seeing that even my pursuits are something that's already kind of like programmed in. It's my parabda karma. It looks like I'm doing it, but it's actually the program playing itself out. <laughs> and let me unplug from the program here and um, and pursue Krishna's service, whether it's difficult or, or, or not difficult, according to my, in terms of my, my, my senses in my mind. And times may be difficult. Times may be, there may be, um, may be easy that's that's not our concern either concern is to serve serve krishna that way you transcend this that, that the basic idea is this to sum them you know equal balance so that's that's yoga now we take that and, and and add service to that so there's some activity there love has an orbit of its own right does that help? Yeah, let's see. Okay, what else? Okay, we have a question here. Madhavi. Yeah, I read this line from Dharanachami that says... From who? Dharanachami. Who, Swami? Radhanath Swami. Okay, she has a quote from Radhanath Swami. Humility is a natural symptom of beautiful love. God, love to God. Um, humility, what? I can't, I really can't quite hear. Humility is a natural symptom of those who love God. Those who love God. And Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu explains to us in the third verse of Sikshastatam that we should be more humble than the fallen leaves and more tolerant than a tree. But how, as this, how, as this is a mention as a natural symptom, the humble. So the, the quote says that humility is a natural symptom of devotion. It's kind of commitment to devotion. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu teaches that we should be humble. So it seems like the dilemma is, well, if it's a natural thing, then why do we have to make an effort for it? It's natural. Well, I think we make an effort for bhakti. Um, we progress on the path of bhakti through grace and through effort. I often say that our effort is to get grace, to position ourselves such that um, that uh, we can take advantage of, of the grace rather than um, an effort that is that is um, like ascending. By my effort, I will go there. I make an effort to get grace, and by that, I can go there. So there is a place for effort. Hmm? in bhakti and it'll be more apparent in the early stages that uh, the effort is <laughs> is prominent um, so when we make an effort for bhakti then as that bhakti comes humility will come as well because as he said it's concomitant to bhakti um, all the good qualities, all the qualities of devotees, I think there are 
is listed maybe Chaitanya Charitamrita of 26 qualities of devotees. They all center around being a devotee, <laughs> period. You know, I forget what the term is, but uh, so they, they, they all kind of orbit around that, that that must be in place and they will, they will, that will result in those qualities coming within us. So, um, I mean, after all, how can you make an effort for bhakti when bhakti involves seeing yourself as a servant, um, seeing, having knowledge of who Bhagwan is? How can you not feel humble? Hmm? Right? So the two are intertwined, so much so that in Prem Bhakti, no, since he doesn't seem to be referring to this, because he quotes a verse that's relative to Nishta, Trinadapi Suni Chena, accomplishes with this kind of disposition, this kind of humility, chanting, and quickly can make progress. But later in Prem, Sanatana Goswami explains in Prem Bhagavatamrita that Prem begets humility. Humility begets praying. They're more or less synonymous. And that way you can see it's it's a feature. It's, it, it, it practically is bhakti. But if you play out again the knowledge, here is Bhagavan, this is the knowledge within Bhakti Sambandagyan. What is his position? <laughs> what is my position? I mean, how could you think of anything other than, you know, your position is a humble one. <laughs> so they're concomitant. Um, but I think that at the same time, when we practice bhakti, um, we can be um, um, affected by pride, which is our material conditioning. Hmm? We have material conditioning, which in the whole way of material life is to, is to push right, on others to get ahead and so forth. You can see it in the animal kingdom one. You know, there's a, there's a struggle, right, for, for asserting self-assertion, self-assertion. So this is the natural tendency. We've been going on this way since this direction, since time immemorial. So we take up our course is intercepted by bhakti through sadhusanga. We like the idea, but we have this momentum at the same time. And so uh, the, the, the self-assertion in an inordinate way that doesn't correspond with um, with self-assertion for, as an instrument of bhakti um, or in, 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 in pride, there's a place for it to come. So we have to watch out for it, push it down. Hmm? Um, and then you can say this is the the uh, cultivation of bhakti. Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasati Thakur once gave a famous lecture I think it was entitled More Humble Than a Blade of Grass on the day of his appearance day when he was sitting on a high seat and everybody was praising him. And he, made, and he said, "This, what does this have to do with being more humble than a blade of grass? And so he asserted that that humility is uh, absence of the enjoying spirit, for one, but uh, moral humility is not abstract, but before Bhagawan, before Guru, so to do the bidding of the guru is what it means to be humble. Hmm? And if the guru says, you should sit on the seat, then, then you humbly have to sit on, on the seat and take uh, respect uh, uh, for, for Bhagawan, for guru and, and Krishna uh, from others. Um, so, so um, yeah, uh, we don't, I think, this is kind of really related to your question. We don't cultivate humility independent of, of bhakti. We cultivate bhakti, and in the context of bhakti, we, we in the early stages, we want to watch out for false pride and not let us get the upper hand and so on and so forth. And indirectly, I say that's that's a, a cultivation of of humility. But it is it's concomitant to bhakti. Make an effort for bhakti, and you'll be humble. Just a question. Yes, um, that, um, So you were saying something about self-assertiveness. Self-assertiveness, yeah. yeah. Self-assertiveness can make 
for God. I was just wondering how, in the in the attitude of service, trying to constantly serve, how to, I guess, utilize self-assertiveness in a way that for bhakti. Yeah, how can you self-assert in this for bhakti? Well, you have to say no. It's not like that. You have to assert yourself for bhakti. You have to represent bhakti. This is the teaching. So you see, for example, someone is giving the opposite teaching and thinking it's bhakti, then you're going to assert yourself and say, on behalf of bhakti, on behalf of bhakti, on behalf of bhakti. You know, Guru Maharaj said this, and you can assert yourself, no. He said that in this circumstance, and this is what he meant, and it doesn't apply to this circumstance. And so you're asserting, that's a self-assertiveness, but you're doing so on behalf of, so it's all a question of who you're representing, properly representing the teaching, uh, the example of the Guru, Vaishnavas, and so forth. So there's a place, sure, we can use everything, all of our, um, we can express all of our emotions and use all of our motor senses in bhakti. Hmm? Why not? Where is that authority to do that come from? Well, where where does the authority to do that come from? The, the more you understand bhakti, the more you've applied yourself in bhakti, the more you are doing bhakti, the more you can assert yourself, uh, you know, you can assert what bhakti is <laughs> um, through your example, through your teaching. Um, uh, but our authority, if you will, to um, act on behalf of bhakti comes from our guru. So our standing in bhakti should be determined by how we see ourselves in relation to our uh, superiors. How what is our attitude in terms of those who, from whom bhakti is, is, uh, has come to us? Um, our guru, the senior Vaishnavas, and so forth. Um, if we have not much regard for them, and we have, but we're making new people and so forth, bringing, what are we bringing them to? Our own idea. Hmm? So the whole, you know, you're asserting yourself for bhakti, so you know, you're doing it on behalf of someone, right? Someone you're doing it for. Right? There's a chain of command, if you will. Common sense. What else? Oh, I guess we're over time now, huh? Yeah, it's uh, 15 past. Okay, well, nice to be with all of you. Please try to tune into the classes and uh, hope to be with you next Sunday. Thank you very much. Bye.